Good morning, Christ Fellowship. I'm glad we're all here. It's a wonderful day. And uh, uh, we're introducing a new uh, series this morning uh, called A Light Has Come. And it's our Advent series. Every year we orient toward uh, the first coming as well as the second coming of Christ. And Advent is a really special time in the Christian year. And this goes, this tradition of the Christian year goes way back, way before uh, Constantine and uh, after that time it took shape and there was a tradition of reading certain um, cycles of scripture throughout the year to remember the gospel each year uh, according to its times, the special times marked in the, the life of Jesus Christ. And so the message of Advent, which means coming or appearance in Latin, is about God's astounding intervention in human history. It's an intervention that makes the world's attempt to market Christmas seem hollow and empty. Advent is the announcement of God that God is offering a new revelation, a reality that will turn the world's way of thinking about life and its meaning upside down. The birth of Jesus marks the beginning of a new dawning of light and truth about who God is and who we are as God's children. So be alert in this season. Look, listen, and be ready to experience God with us as never before. So the Advent season is a time in which we begin to open our hearts to something that perhaps we haven't seen and haven't understood. Uh, and it's important for us to struggle with two polar opposites in our lives. One of them is, this, is the, uh, pole, uh, the pole of history. We have a pole of history in our lives that uh, we look back, we can look back at what has happened to us, what has happened around us, what is happening now. And yet, in that, and in that history poll, we, we feel hopes, we feel expectations, things, events that happen we expect are going to go on. And so we plan and we predict. But what history also does is it has a way of dashing our hopes and uh, filling us with fears because of the losses that also occur throughout history. And yet, there's another pole, and that's the pole of mystery. The pole of mystery is that uh, even in the history as we have seen it, God is at work. He's at work in ways we can't expect. He's at work in ways in which our uh, way of framing hopes cannot account for. That mystery in which God shows up even in the defeats, even in the uh, even in the uh, losses of our lives, and points us towards something way beyond history. It points us to something that, to someone and something that transcends history. All of us have sensed that in our lives. And one of the things that we can uh, take comfort in is that nothing that has happened, that God has allowed to happen in our lives is for nothing. Nothing that God has allowed to occur in our lives is wasted. And no pain or no tear that we've shed in our lives is a wasted pain or a wasted tear because God, because of what I call the mystery and the uh, miracle of compost, to bring it down to an earthly term. 
What's the mystery and the miracle of compost? Is that you can throw all that trash, all that unuseful stuff, all that mess, all that gunk into a big pile and let God work on it. Release it to Him. And over time, through that miracle of compost and the way that He knows how to turn and change things, instead of a pile of compost, what we have at the end is a wonderful, beautiful uh, loam in which seeds of something new and powerful and wonderful can be born and can grow and can take root. And so even the worst things that have happened in our lives can be redeemed through this divine miracle of compost. So what, one of the things that we have to do as we live is to manage this difficulty of history and mystery and to manage the difference between the expected and the unexpected. Isaiah in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, which is one of the lectionary readings for today, uh, points to a hope that the people of Israel had from the very beginning, and that was that their city, their town that God had chosen, Jerusalem, would be the, uh, the center to which all uh, people would come and uh, would look, and they would be the, uh, the highest mountain uh, on the earth, the most important city in the world. And, uh, and this type of uh, this type of expectation and hope was called uh, Songs of Zion. And so we have a Song of Zion in chapter uh, 2 of Isaiah. If you have your Bible, just turn there, and we'll see a Song of Zion. Actually, we're going to see two Songs of Zion this morning. And uh, we'll see this one. And what we need to remember is that sometimes the Bible is simply quoting uh, what people say. And in this case, it's a song that would have been a popular song uh, during the 8th century. We know that because uh, Micah in chapter 4 has this same song quoted almost word for word. And as he, uh, and, and it's, it seems to be a song that was uh, like some of these other songs of Jerusalem. And uh, so it would be like one of us quoting a song in a sermon from the popular songs on the radio. And uh, so we have to, sometimes we have to read uh, in various levels as we read Scripture. We have to be on the lookout for mystery. We have to be willing for uh, Scripture to subvert itself and to give us a bigger picture and to point us towards something way beyond what our own expectations could be. And so this one is a song that would have been popular if they had had radios. It would have been very popular at the time. Uh, so... Uh, and it says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established, and the highest of the mountains will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream into it. Many peoples will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And then the prophet adds a comment on this song. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. 
And then uh, at, the, uh, at the end of his sermon, in the end of chapter 2, he makes a further com- comment because things in uh, the time of the prophet Isaiah were not uh, matching up with this hope. The reality was not matching up with the hope expressed in the popular song. And so in verse 22, Isaiah says, Stop trusting in human beings who have but a breath in their nostrils. That is, stop trusting in human beings who haven't breathed their last breath yet. Why hold them in esteem? And I think we, we suffer from the same sorts of delusions in our own lives, thinking that uh, the, next, uh, the next new thing, the next new president, the next new whatever it is, is going to be our salvation. And the prophet is very clear about what we need, to, the, the perspective we need to have. The perspective is one that beyond, points beyond history, points beyond uh, what we can see, and points beyond what we would normally expect. Let's see another one of these psalms, uh, Songs of Zion. It's uh, 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 Psalm chapter uh, 122, if you turn over there, Psalm 122. If you have a Bible, or if you're on, uh, uh, you have your Bible on your uh, phone or whatever it is, you know, we used to hear rustling pages when we would say, you know, uh, turn to uh, whatever passage, but we don't hear those anymore. But I, I thought I'd, for old time's sake, I brought my Bible up here instead of my phone. All right, so uh, chapter, uh, uh, Psalm 122. I rejoiced, and, and pay attention to this, this hope that comes from history and expectations that sometimes don't pan out. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May those May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my people and of all the people, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. They're wonderful sentiments, great expectations and hope, but but history has, as I said, has a way of defeating, crushing our hopes. And this is exactly what happened in the history of Israel. Jerusalem, for all its beauty, for all its compacted glory, for all uh, the fact that people uh, every year streamed up to Jerusalem, for all, the, for all the, the truth that God's house was there, it came to an end. It was destroyed and utterly uh, wiped out and, uh, and, and the people taken off into, uh, into captivity. And even when Jesus came and the Herod of uh, the temple of Herod was standing in the time of Jesus. Jesus himself, when he uh, came into Jerusalem, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets. 
and kill God's people. How I would have longed to gather you under my wings as a hen gathers its chicks to itself, but, but you would not have any of it. And see now your house is left to you desolate. And in chapter 24 of Matthew, if you want to turn over there, chapter 24, what we see is, uh, is Jesus' sermon uh, as the disciples were commenting on, and this is just a few days before his death, the disciples were looking at the great uh, stones and the marvelous architecture, the great, and the Herod's temple was amazing. It was the, one of the seven wonders of the, of the ancient world. It had beautiful uh, uh, gold-colored gates, covered gates. It had uh, majestic uh, stones that were so large, uh, they uh, still are the marvel of engineers. Uh, how this was placed together. And the foundation of that temple is still standing in Jerusalem all of these uh, years later, and yet uh, none of the temple itself is uh, is standing, just like Jesus said. Because when the disciples said to him, uh, uh, do you see, uh, he's, he, they were calling his attention to the buildings, and he said, do you see all of these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another, every one will be thrown down. And even today, on the Temple Mount, is the second most important mosque in the world, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And Christians and Jews are forbidden to enter into that place. The temple was destroyed in AD 70, and, uh, and the hopes and dreams of Israel were completely went up in flames with it. Uh, it, it, the hopes and dreams that Jerusalem would be would fulfill all of these dreams and hopes that they had. And even though the people of Israel has been, have been restored to the land, uh, that has not happened. And some people, you know, put all of their hope and dream, hope and and dream, and that it may. But but that is not where the Bible is going. That is not where Scripture is pointing. And so. Uh, what is it saying? And this is where we need to learn to manage our expectations and manage the unexpected as we read Scripture, just as when we live our lives. So uh, in Matthew 24, uh, verse uh, 36 and following, we find one of the, uh, another uh, verse from the lectionary reading. And the verse says, the, the paragraph says, but about that day or hour, that is when I will come again, when the Son of Man will come again, not even the angels in heaven know, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered into the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a, with a hand mill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night 
the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you almost, uh, you, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So one of the things that Jesus is teaching us is to develop a sense of that subverts our own expectation. That once we have a set of expectations, something that we know or we think is going to happen, we have to stop and say, no, someone else is in control here. It's expressed in one of the passages in James that says, don't say, uh, next year I'll go here or there and buy this or that, but say, if the Lord wills that I live, I will go such and such a thing and do such and such a, uh, 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 carry out such and such business. Because the Lord is the one who has the ultimate say, and if history teaches us right, we should expect that our expectations are going to be subverted and that God is about something beyond our expectations. So the Old Testament points us toward Jesus in a way we would have never expected. No one reading the Old Testament up until the time of Jesus would have ever expected things would turn out the way they did. They had the Bible. They studied it. They read it. They looked. They searched. Uh, all of the prophecies were there, but you know, these things didn't make any sense. They didn't point to anything until Jesus came. And then people said, oh, now I see it. So in retrospect, once Jesus comes, then we can see how prophecy was pointing, what it was saying. We can see something deeper. Jesus then becomes the lens through which we see Scripture, and we're able to understand it. And Jesus becomes the lens through which we see ourselves and our world, and we're able to understand it. But we have to step out of what we normally expect. We have to step out of, of even who we normally are and take on a completely different mind, which is the mind of Christ, as Paul said. So in 1 Corinthians 2, just uh, flip over there if you would, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and following, uh, the, what sort of defines how we should read Scripture, how we should uh, understand our lives and manage our expectations and the unexpected. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the mystery about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Now we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. 
none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love Him. For God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except the person's spirit within? It is the same way, no, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of uh, who is from God, that we might understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities to spiritual people. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person has, is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. How do we step into this mind of Christ? That's a, that's a big question, isn't it? How do we step into this? How do we step out of our expectations and step into the mind of Christ? Well, one of the things I'm so happy with Scripture, uh, so happy with uh, God uh, about is that He doesn't ever throw us back on our own resources. <laughs> In other words, when, he, when we come to Him, He doesn't say, look, here are the set of conditions you need to fulfill so that you can get the mind of Christ or be saved or whatever. In, instead, what... Uh, he does is he points us to his spirit and uh, and he points us to faith, not the kind of faith that we might think of where we you might think that you're you have to generate a certain amount of faith or a certain grade of faith or a certain uh, structure of faith or certain details about the faith that depend on you and your mind or your astuteness or your cleverness or even your intensity or whatever it is. Faith is simply a yes in the Spirit to Jesus. Just as Scripture says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the entire earth to strengthen those whose hearts are given to Him. You see, our hearts given to God are still weak and they need strengthened. And so God comes into our lives. He strengthens our hearts. He, he gives us a new perspective. Even the passage that we talked about, Matthew 24, uh, verses 36 through 44, isn't really talking about what's going to happen and when it will happen. It's talking about the kinds of things that are going to keep happening. Wars, rumors of wars, defeats, right, nations rising up against the nations. It's not 
saying this, that we should figure out what the timetable is, but that we should point our hearts to Jesus and have a yes in our spirit to Him in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. So back in uh, chapter 24 of Matthew, and uh, I think it's about verse 10. Let's go back there. And I know we're going everywhere preaching the Word. Just bear with me a few minutes more. Uh, so in uh, chapter 24 of Matthew, in verse 9, it says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate one another. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because, and this is the, this is the key, because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most people will grow cold. But whoever stands firm to the end will be saved. And the gospel, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most people will grow cold. And that really is what this passage is about. It's a warning to uh, help us to see that we need to keep our flame of love alive in all of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And we have the resources to do that because God has given us the resource by showing us His amazing love. You see, what we need to do is to incorporate into our gospel not just the death of Jesus Christ, which is such an amazing demonstration of love. And we evangelicals have done that so well by pointing to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what Advent teaches us is that we need to, that is this period of time, teaches us that we need to incorporate Christmas into our story of God's love as well. You see, God didn't wait for us to get our stuff together. He didn't wait for us to cross over some bridge. He didn't wait for us to fulfill some uh, some sort of, of precondition. He didn't wait for us to somehow be stirred toward Him. God demonstrated His love in this way that, he, that Christ died for the ungodly, that He loves His enemies, that He sent His Son to, uh, and to be incarnated just like us in the flesh. And the moment that Jesus was conceived in his mother's womb, he was already condemned to die. You see, if it wasn't the cross, it would have been some other way that Jesus would have given his life for us. But in God's great wisdom, it was the cross. It was a horrible death. And yet God was demonstrating his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ was sent for us. God was with us. Even before we ever took a step toward Him. And I think that we can all look back at our lives and find uh, times when, when we know that that was true. Times when we know we were not walking with God. We can look and say, wow, if it hadn't been for some strange occurrence. 
I would not be alive today because that love has been pursuing me until this moment. We find many, many, many ways that, uh, that can wake us up and, and shake us and astound us in God's love. We've got to incorporate then into our lives this understanding that Christmas demonstrates to God God's love in that way, God's love for enemies. It's an amazing, amazing love. I don't think we've yet comprehended it or have come to fully embrace it. We're not really comfortable with love, most of us. Some of us, I know I do, I've suffered uh, for most of my life until recently, really, um, from a, a sense of being orphaned from God. And you know, the orphan uh, spirit is a very particular spirit because it says things like, everything I have, I have gained with my own two hands. Everything I have, I've worked for. Because the orphan is a survivor. The orphan is a person who, by whatever means, is going to knows that the only or thinks that the only resources the orphan has is what the orphan himself can muster up. The orphan is alone and has no home in the love of God. And orphans can actually be orphans even in a family if they simply uh, don't feel at home in the love of the Father. You don't have to be a true orphan to be an orphan and to suffer from an orphan spirit. The orphan spirit haunts us then as we, you know, those of us who have learned to be survivors, uh, we do everything that we can in order to uh, make our way through life. God has uh, sent His Son to deliver us from the orphan spirit so that we can find a home in Father's love. And so the world waits. Here we are in the time of Advent. The world waits. This last bit of thought is from a book by uh, Frederick Buechner called um, The Magnificent Defeat. But the world waits. Uh, even the Apostle Paul said, the world is waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. The world is waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. What does that mean? Well, we are children of God, sons and daughters of God, but the world is waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, the unveiling. Right now, we all look like just any old person, you know, who puts his britches on one leg at a time in the morning. Weak, uh, uh, sinful, in difficulty, confusion. But history is waiting and history is laboring. Something is drawing near. And we love its being far away rather than here among ourselves, except, of course, that it is here among us too and within us as we wait for the story to begin the story whose end we already know and yearn to know again and wish we did not know. The story whose meaning may be our meaning as we wait for the child 
to be born. For this is what Gabriel comes to announce. And Mary stands there as still as life in her blue mantle with her hands folded on her lap and the terrible salutation is caught like a bird's wing in the golden net of the air. Ave Maria, gratia plena, hail Mary, full of grace. Dominicus tecum, the Lord is with you. And then she hears him say, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name. But she knows his name before Gabriel says it, just as we also know his name, because the child who is going to be born is our child, and he is her child. He is that which all the world history and all of our own inner histories have been laboring to bring forth. And it will be no ordinary birth, but a virgin birth. Because the birth of righteousness and love in this stern world is always a virgin birth. It is never men or nations or men or all the power of wisdom of men that bring it forth, but it is always God. And that is why the angel says, the child to be born will be called the Son of God. And so I want to invite you to stand up. And uh, as we will have a moment of uh, ministry, and just, just as the band comes up, So this morning we, we preached good news. The good news is that God is not throwing you back on your own resources. God has bent His ear and bent heaven and earth to come near to you and to me right where we are and He loves us just as we are. And yet He also loves us too much to leave us exactly where we are because He knows exactly where we are is not where we need to be. And so my invitation to you today is to take a step. God has done an amazing thing in playing this marvelous uh, melody of Jesus, this marvelous harmony of heaven that has been displayed for our pleasure in the coming, the life and the death and the, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all that's necessary is a yes in our spirit and to begin that journey of walking toward Him. And you might say, well, what if I'm too weak to walk toward Him? Then God will bring the healing necessary for you to walk toward Him, the power necessary for you to walk toward Him. But you might say, what if, you know, what if, uh, if I'm not good enough? Then God will say, look, uh, I have provided all the good that you need to walk toward me. What you need to do is simply to have a yes in your spirit toward me 
And that's all the faith necessary to begin this journey. What if I can't understand it all? What if I don't understand the intricacies of Christian doctrine? All you need is a yes in your spirit toward Jesus. That is what He's calling you to give. Then He will take care of the rest. Jesus is a good teacher. Spending a little time with Him, you'll get it straightened out. Everything that you need to get straightened out. And so it's a simple thing, the answer to the good news. Now this morning, uh, we have some people here to pray with you, to help you, to bless you, to give you some wise counsel, some things that you might need to know uh, in order to follow even further into the heart of Jesus. But mainly, you may just need prayer this morning. So I invite you come forward uh, if you desire prayer and you desire to receive more of this good news. In Jesus' name.